This morning, I want to look at the story of David and Mephibosheth. It's a story that should inspire us to look and see the people around us and respond in love. Love is kind of a tricky thing. Love is one of those things that we have learned about, we know about, but unfortunately, the example that's set before us of love is kind of one that we get told through movies and through books most of all. We sometimes experience it in the household that we grow up in, and sometimes we still experience it with our partner to this day, love and kindness. And that's the kind of love is, that's being shown here. It's love and kindness. Kindness and love. That is what David is giving to Mephibosheth. And yet the example for us is kind of set always, especially in movies and books, in a wrong type of light. It's a love that is based off emotions. It's a love that's kind of situational and one that is freely taken and freely removed from the other person. And so when we look at the Bible and we hear about this word love, sometimes it can get a little bit confusing. What type of love is being shown here? What is love that we should have for our brothers and sisters in Christ? And what's the type of love that we should have for everyone, regardless of who they are? Well, David gives us an example of how we are called to love people. The story of Mephibosheth takes place in three different parts over 2 Samuel, and I want to kind of highlight those different parts. And so we had the second part read to us this morning, and, and I'm not going to reference it a whole lot, uh, the scripture itself, because we've had it read. And so hopefully you were uh, able to take that in, but I would just encourage you to spend time looking at the story. It is a beautiful story. The story itself is of this broken boy who gets accepted into a new family even when he believes that he is better left forgotten and alone. Mephibosheth's story is full of hurt and it is one that very easily could be told by us. We are a hurt people. We have a lot of hurts in our lives, and so it is easy for us to identify with Mephibosheth and say, okay, God loves us, and God, the love that David shows is a God-like love. And, and so sometimes when we read the story, at least the first time I read it, I very much so placed myself in the, in the foots of Mephibosheth. But this story actually beckons us to go from Mephibosheth to actually identify with David. And so I, I hope that we will spend some time in Mephibosheth's foots for a little bit, in his shoes, walking it out. But rather, as Christians, we need to really move on from Mephibosheth and start identifying as David. And so this whole time, I want to look at how we are called to respond with love to those around us, to everyone around us. And so my prayer for this morning and has been throughout this entire week as I've been studying and prepping for the sermon is that you will listen to what is happening in our text and you will hear God speaking to you through that, that you are loved and that you are empowered to be a force of love in this world. Would you join me in praying? God, thank you for this morning. Lord, I pray just very that God, I pray that, that we would come to know your love in, in the fullest extent that you have for us, God. 
And Lord, I pray that we would start to see ourselves as your hands and feet if we don't already. That, that God, that we would see ourselves as being your love incarnate to the world. That we are the physical aspect of that to this day. Pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. So in our story in 2 Samuel chapter 9, we know that David is already placed as king. And and already at this point, he's actually king of all Israel. He's not just king in Judah. He is all over Israel as their king. And the question that kind of gets stated there, not, not implicitly, but we beg the question as we read the story of Samuel, or sorry, of Samuel, Saul, and David is that, what kind of king is David going to be? Is he going to be like Saul, or is he going to be the king that Saul was supposed to be? The king that David has been anointed to be? So how is David going to rule? That should be the question in our minds as we read this section of scripture. And Eugene Peterson writes, and and writes it very, very well, that kings are supposed to bring justice and equity. That is what rulers are established by God to work for and bring about. And so we see here that David actually does that. He will bring about justice and equity. And David shows Mephibosheth in, in, this whole, uh, in this whole different three-part story taking place over Mephibosheth's story in 2 Samuel that he is going to show David a love that is called a chesed love in Hebrew. Again, that friendship, covenantal love that is not based on circumstances or anything else. And again, Eugene Peterson describes Chesed as this. Chesed is a love without regard to shifting circumstances, hormones, emotional states, and personal convenience. This is the kind of love which God so loved the world. So the first part of Mephibosheth's story actually takes back a few uh, chapters earlier in Second Samuel chapter 4, verse 4, and it kind of is like a footnote. It's a really short section, but I'll just read it for us here. Jonathan, son of Saul, had a son who was lame in both feet. He was five years old when the news about Saul and Jonathan came from Jezreel that they were dead. His nurse picked him up and fled, but as she hurried to leave, he fell and became disabled, and his name was Mephibosheth. Kind of a brutal introduction to this poor boy. And this is the, really the introduction, and then we don't hear about him again until chapter 9. So what is taking place in between chapter 4 and chapter 9? Well, again, looking at the different t- parts of the story and piecing it together, we find out that this group, this remnant that remained in, in Gibeon, which is where Saul kind of ruled from, the, the servants that were there, they got news of Saul and Jonathan. And like we just read, the, the nurse looking after Mephibosheth grabs him as everyone else is trying to grab belongings, trying to grab things, because they know that if the Philistines, which is what Israel was at war with in this, in this time, if, if the Philistines won, which it sounds like they did, because Saul and Jonathan were dead, that the Philistines would come. And if the Philistines came to Gibeon, it is not going to look good. The Philistines were known for torturing, for being the most cruel people in how they treated the survivors. They would torture them until they died. And so the people that were left flee for their lives. 
And where they flee to is Lodabar. And so this is where we find Mephibosheth in, in chapter 9. This is where Zeba knows that he is located. But this group that is there, again, Eugene Peterson is the book that we're kind of using to, to base our, our uh, whole series kind of around. It's, it's giving us this example and the guide for, for the commentary that we're using. And he paints this picture that this group that is left of Saul— that they have retreated, they are trying to live as low-key as possible, they are hiding, they do not want it to get out, because if David were to find out, and this is their thinking, that if David finds out that where they are, that that will also spell the death of them. And so this group is becoming this deeply embittered group towards David, deeply embittered group that they are no longer a part of the king's group, that they are no longer located there, that they are no longer safe. And again, Eugene Peterson kind of paints this picture of a group that is constantly telling horror stories of what will happen if they get found out. And so we get the sense that Mephibosheth, in this kind of state, is living with a lot of fear. He is worried if he gets found, and he is fearful for his life. And this is Mephibosheth, this broken, hurt individual, young, young man that is just scared for his life. And so when David starts looking for a remaining survivor of Jonathan or Saul, he is looking to find someone, and the person that is to be found is Mephibosheth. And so when this, we assume a, a servant goes and tells Mephibosheth to come, and I can only imagine the terror that is in his mind. David is looking to completely stamp out Saul's lineage. My life is forfeit. I have to throw my everything before David and hope that he will let me live. This boy, and, and, and scholars kind of think that between chapter 4 and chapter 9, that there is maybe at most 10 years. So at most, a 15-year-old comes before David and throws himself down and says, I am a dead dog. Know that I, I am broken. I am nothing, David. Please spare my life. I, I, am, I am useless. I'm not going to do anything. I am totally defeated. There is nothing I can do. I can't even walk, David. Just spare my life, please. This is his mindset going into this meeting. And, and we know that David's mindset is completely different. David, with, with Jonathan in particular, he had made a promise, a covenantal promise with Jonathan that said, I will look after your kids. I swear it on my life. I will ensure that you and yours are safe. But Mephibosheth doesn't know this. Or maybe he's forgotten if he did know it at one point. And so when David invites Mephibosheth, he is looking to protect him. He is looking to keep him safe. He is looking to extend the love that he has for Jonathan to Mephibosheth. And so when we read in chapter 9, as we had read earlier, David, David looks after Mephibosheth. Not only just looks after him, he, David's willingness to give the land of Saul and the belongings of Saul takes this from an act of love, just, just a simple, okay, well, I'm going to love you, to an act of restoring Mephibosheth's honor. 
And that is the first part of true love. This is the first facet of three that we're going to look at. And that is love always honors. Love sees other people as equal. It doesn't place a hierarchy between you and say, well, I'm going to love you because you are pitiful. Or because no one else is going to love you, so I guess I will love you. It says, no, 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 no. Come stand beside me, arm in arm. I love you. We are going to do life together. Love places people on equal footing. Love honors. And so he invites Mephibosheth to not only just to be restored, but goes even further than that to say to Mephibosheth, hey, I know that you were without family, that you are broken, that you are hurting, and I want you to be one of my sons. That is the language that we see here when David in verses 10 through 11, or yeah, 10 through 11, that he invites Mephibosheth to eat at his table like one of his sons. He is saying, I love you. I see that you are Jonathan's son, and so you are my son. This is language that Mephibosheth would have never expected from David. He, in his highest imagining, he would have never imagined this, that David would love him. Not only love him, but accept him into his family. David's chested style of love sees Mephibosheth restored back into the house of the king. And that's our second facet of love. Love restores and invites healing. And that is what's happening to Mephibosheth in this passage. Mephibosheth doesn't, you don't need to see yourself as a broken, hurt individual without family. I will fill in. I will be your family. You are welcome to be in my family. And this language should, should stand out to us as very Jesus-like. David is representing Jesus. And, and in the Old Testament, whenever I read the Old Testament, I always read it through the lens of this, that the Old Testament points towards Jesus' coming. It is looking towards the Messiah. And, and moments like this where David is, is loving fully, he's giving just to his true self, this should remind us of Jesus. And, and very much so with Jesus adopts us as his sons and daughters into the kingdom. This is this beautiful painting of love, this true love that is getting exampled for us through David. And then we move from this first part and the second part of Mephibosheth's story into the third part. And the third part takes place quite a bit later. And it's this weird story. Because if we were to end our message right there, we would say, man, okay, love is honoring, love restores and brings healing. That is a perfect example. That is amazing, Pastor Quinn. Good job. Congratulations. We know more about love and, and we should do that in our life. But what we see in the third part of Mephibosheth's story is, is what we see in our lives. In our lives, love isn't always easy. People hurt us, and, and that's a tough thing to love people through. It is a tough thing to love people through. And what we see in the third part of Mephibosheth's story, and I'm just going to summarize it for us because, again, it kind of takes place over a few chapters what happens is David is ruling as king. David has had many sons, and, and one of them has kind of, well, he's on the wrong foot. 
He's doing the wrong thing. He completely destroys the relationship with David. He tries to take control of the kingdom. He kicks David out, and his little force there starts ruling and reigning as the king, and David has to flee. And and again, we get this picture of David once again dealing with a Saul-like character. And his own son, man, I, I can't imagine the hurt. And so David's son is ruling, and, and as, da- as this encounter with his son taking over the kingdom, David is fleeing, and he's trying to get people to go with him and, and trying to protect people from his son. And so we read about Ziba, and, and Ziba goes with David, but remember, Ziba is looking after Mephibosheth, and, and where's Mephibosheth? And so David asks Ziba, where is Mephibosheth? And Ziba kind of says, well, I tried to get him, but he wasn't willing to come. He, I think that he's wanting to try and be the king. I think he's hoping that people will realize that he's actually the true heir of Saul, and so he should be king. And this is the picture that Ziba gives him, is is Mephibosheth stayed behind to try and take the throne. And David, in that moment, says, well, then everything that you were working for, the way that you were serving Mephibosheth, all the land, all the belongings will be yours when I come back into the kingdom. And eventually, a few chapters later, after that encounter happens, David does. He comes back into the kingdom, and we have another encounter with Mephibosheth. David goes to Mephibosheth, and he says, why didn't you come with me? Why didn't you flee with me? I would have looked after you. I would have taken care of you. And Mephibosheth says, I wanted to. I, 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 I had every intention on coming. Ziba would not get my donkey ready so that I could come. And, and, and because my feet don't work, I couldn't do it on my own. And the servant that you placed to look after me, he failed in his duty. And he would not take me. And in this moment, the, these two stories get pitted. And we as the reader are like, okay, what is David going to do? Is he going to kind of sleuth it out? Is he, is he going to do some Sherlock Holmes kind of stuff to figure out which one is telling the truth and which one isn't? And so we're kind of like begging David, okay, who is telling the truth? Who do we believe? Do we believe Ziba or do we believe Mephibosheth? And David does something starkly different that shows us another facet of his love. David, in this moment of knowing now the two stories and these two contradictory stories, says, I don't care. I love you, Mephibosheth. You, I have given my covenantal love to you. I don't want to know whose story is true because I want to love you. I am going to love you even if your story is correct. And even if your story isn't correct, I am going to choose to love you. And another kind of facet of his love goes to Ziba. And he says, you are welcome back as well. And I love you too. Dynamically different than I think I would have done it. But through this, David shows us another facet of of this chesed love which is love doesn't place unnecessary boundaries. It is easy in our life to love people who are easy to love. 
It's easy in our life to love the people that are doing life with us and, and going with the flow that we're going with. But what happens when that person that we're loving starts to do things that we don't like? And I think, parents, you most of all have to deal with this with your kids. What happens when your kid is doing something that you don't want them to do? And I I know I've done that for my parents many a time when all of a sudden me and my parents are fighting. But at the end of the day, even, even in the midst of all of that, I knew at the end of it that my dad and my mom still loved me regardless. Even though I had hurt them, even though I had made that kind of mistake that I had made, I knew that their love was still there and that they actually wanted the best for me. And I'm very thankful that I had good parents. And my parents... Uh, I, I don't always see eye to eye with them, I'll be honest. My dad in particular, me and him, don't always agree on things and, and don't always, I don't always like the things that he does. And, and I'm sure in the same way, uh, the other side is true as well. But we do love each other. But my parents, my, my, my childhood upbringing, I had some really awesome moments, really, really delightful things to look back on. But I also had a lot of other things that I look back on and I just... Man, there's a lot of hurt. And still to this day, there's a lot of hurt. And one of those things that really still hurts, but I'm, I'm choosing to continue to love through it and continuing to love my brother through it is my brother Warren. My brother Warren, he ha- had these dreams as a teenage, teenager uh, to be in a band. And him and this band, they were pretty good. I'm biased, of course, but they were pretty good, and they were doing pretty good. We grew up in Lethbridge, and so they were doing shows, and it went pretty well for them. They were starting to get into following. And so one day they said, okay, we're not going to make it here. Let's take this and go to New York and try to make it big. And then they did that for a while, and they said, okay, let's go to Vancouver and try to make it big. And so they went there and did all their best effort. And, and throughout my childhood, my brother Warren has always been that strange brother. I'm sure you guys can, you know what I'm talking about. There's always one, right? That's a little bit weird. Don't look at them now, guys. I see a couple people turning their heads. But my brother Warren, like, he, he's just always had just completely different views than everyone else. He does things different. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. But my brother was really, he made some poor choices growing up. He chose to do things that my parents said, do not do this because it's not good for you. And it will lead to bad consequences. And my brother chose to do that repeatedly. And and through that, my brother got kicked out of the house. And then when he chose to start following the the good guidelines that were in place, he, he got welcomed back into it. And then he got kicked out again. And then he got back in. And this kind of behavior continued. And, and when my brother moved to New York and, and, and eventually moved to Vancouver with his, his bandmates, we thought things were going good. We thought that, man, they're, they're this awesome group. They're doing well. They're all friends from, like, childhood. This is going to be a good thing for them all. Regardless if they make it or not, this is still a good thing. They're doing life. They're Christians. They're living their best life. And this came to a screeching halt one day when all of a sudden the, the lead uh, singer, my, my brother-in-law's brother, uh, he called my dad and, and said, Warren's getting kicked out of the group and we are telling him he should go home. There's a lot of stuff going on that we've been trying. And, and again, this is where one of those things where I don't see eye to eye on my dad, but my dad had known some of this stuff 
already, but had chosen not to share with the family. And so when Warren came back home, I didn't know all the stuff that was going on. But my brother showed up, and, and it was good for the first bit. We were really excited to see him, even though he was really hurt. And all of a sudden, things started getting really bad, like really, really bad to the point where he was hurting family members. And even myself, one time, he literally punched me and started trying to hurt me. And, and all this crazy stuff happened. And, and we started realizing that there was probably something else going on here. This is, this is getting into the area of mental health. And so after one more big incident, my parents kind again, kind of reluctantly, which again, just goes to show just sometimes there's stigma and that's not a good thing. But my, my brother eventually made his way from being bought, brought there to the mental health hospital. And the first bit, he seemed to be getting better and then came home and things just immediately declined as he stopped taking his medication. And there was a lot of hurts in there. And then things got really bad again, and he got brought back to the mental health ward. And through this entire time of trying to get Warren help and trying to, and seeing that there was a lot of stuff going on, a lot of issues going on, my parents would regularly call family meetings and would tell us, your brother's not doing good. But the thing that we need to do above all else is love Warren. He has hurt all of us. There's no exception. All of us have been hurt by him. But we need, we need to love him through this. If he is not loved and accepted at home, there is nowhere else for him. And out of all the things that my parents did growing up, that in particular stands out to me as the most godly thing ever that they did. They loved my brother through the hardest seasons of life to the point where I would come home and and see my mom and my dad crying because they just didn't know what to do. But through that all, they continued to love Warren and continued to set an example before us as kids that we need to love and accept my brother. My parents demonstrated chessed love for my brother. Something that I, I don't fully know how they did it, to be honest. There was a lot of stuff there, stuff that I don't need to get into. But my parents chose through it all to see my brother with honor, to see my brother with respect, to give him a place to where he could be healed and restored to not set in place a boundary that said, if you do this, you are no longer a part of the family or I will no longer love you. And praise God that they did that because through that, my brother, he he got the help that he needed. He is still getting the help that he needs. And every Sunday, he is there in in church worshiping alongside my, my parents saying, I love God. 
What a miraculous thing that God was able to do was to restore my brother. And and my brother isn't, you know, going to be someone that lives a normal everyday life. But man alive, my brother is someone who is living life to the best that he possibly can. And he is doing well. So much so that it is like he is a new person. And man alive, if that's not the Christian story of seeing a new creation in you because you have been loved by a God whose love is constantly there, constantly being poured out on us. That is the love that God has for us. You are loved regardless of whatever faults that you have in your life, regardless of whatever sin is in your life. God loves you. And the best thing about it is God doesn't want to leave you there. He wants to restore you to be a new creation in him. That is the kind of love that is a chested love that God constantly pours out over you. A restoring, healing, honoring love that sees you as you and says, I love you. God's love is amazing. And David shows us an example of that kind of love. What an amazing thing that is constantly being given to you. We all make mistakes. We all mess up. But you do not have to stay there. Some of us keep identifying with Mephibosheth and say, I am hurt, I am broken, and we get stuck there. When God doesn't want to leave us there anymore, he says, no, I want you to walk with me and start being a David in your life so that you can identify the people that are the Mephibosheths in your life and love them like David loved Mephibosheth. I I have often found myself stuck in Mephibosheth, waiting for people to love me, waiting for people to restore me. But that is never going to fix you. People and things will never fix you as an individual. It is only God who can fix you and heal you and restore you to who you truly are. God's love is a chested love, thank God. And we already saw the slide, but a chess of love is a love that honors allowing people to be equal with us. A love that restores and heals people. And lastly, we don't need to place unnecessary boundaries in place. We need to reflect that kind of love to the people around us. At TCC, we have one of our mission statements that is, we walk with Jesus. Walk with Jesus. If we start walking with Jesus, he is going to start identifying the people in our life that need that chested love. Let's be a people in this community, in this world, in our friends and family's world that is going to bring a chested love. Amen? So my prayer for us this morning is that. That we would respond to people regardless of the situation with love. With a chessed love that says, I see you, I love you, I honor you, I want to bring healing and respect, and I want to see you be the best version of you that you can be. Let's pray. God, thank you for this morning, and God, I thank you that you are a God who loves us. That is constantly pouring out his love over us. Lord, I pray that we would accept that love. 
And God, that we would partner with you, walk with you, and bring that love to the world around us, to the people in our lives, God. Lord, I pray for each and every single one of us this morning, God, that we would be like David, that we would see the people in our world that are hurting, and God, that we would choose to respond in love to them, that we would choose to see them how you see them. Because God, you love them so much that you died on a cross for them and, and for us, for all of us. Before we even accepted you into our life, you chose to die for us. So God, I pray that we would accept the free gift of love that you give us and that we would start walking in it. I pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.